Do you have a team without an HR department? Or maybe your HR department is someone who just got the job because they were already in the office. Or maybe you have a well-staffed HR department and are just looking for outside professional advice. Whatever the case, HRTG can help. HRTG can help with handbooks, interactive training workshops, employee relations that include resolving issues and answering questions, performance reviews, and writing compliance and policies. To simply put it, they cover everything from hiring to retiring. Do what you're good at and let HRTG do what they are great at, help you with your HR needs. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash HR to find out more. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore, your host for Scaling Up H2O, the water treater's favorite podcast. But Nation, I have to tell you, there are so many people out there that listen to the Scaling Up H2O podcast that have nothing to do with industrial water treatment. They really enjoy the wide range of topics that we talk about. And so many people ask me, Trace, how do you come up with the topics that you talk about on your show? Well, I'll tell you, and you're probably not going to think it's that awesome, but here it is. When I decided to start my business, I didn't know what I didn't know. I started putting myself into rooms, into areas, into meetings that allowed me to start learning those items. And those items allowed me to start navigating a successful business to start hiring people to help me run that business and to really allow that business to be fun. So much fun, it allowed me to develop this podcast. That all happened because I started filling in those gaps of the things that I didn't know by putting myself into those situations that allowed me to gather that information. Now, I've told you before that I've been a member of a mastermind for well over 10 years, and that was my secret weapon for learning the things that I didn't know, but it didn't stop there. I learned way early on that in order to truly learn something, you couldn't be a student of it. You had to choose how you looked at that topic, and you had to become the teacher of that topic, the professor of that topic. So that's a skill that I learned a very long time ago. If I am learning something that I deem important, I'm no longer a student of it. I am imagining myself teaching that topic to other people so I can learn it at a higher level. I anticipate the questions that people are going to ask, and then I start discovering what those answers are. So if I did ever teach it, I am able to answer that. That mindset has served me so well, and I will say that's why I enjoy the podcast so much. So my rule for the podcast, if I learned something that helped me out owning a successful water treatment company, that allows me to talk about it here on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And I get to learn the topics even more. 
Some of my favorite books, I've introduced you to the authors of those books, and I get to ask the questions that I've always wondered when I go and read those books. So if you treat yourself as not just the student, as the soon-to-be teacher, I promise you will hold on to information a lot easier and you're going to get a lot more out of it. Speaking about getting things out of things, I'm going to talk about the hang. Next week, we have another hang. This is where we all get together on a Zoom call. We have a little fun. We talk about some things that are going on in the industry, and then I break you out into small, intimate groups. You then have a couple questions that you are going to ask each other, but the whole point of it is you're going to network. You're going to meet people you didn't know, and you're going to find solutions to questions you did not even know to ask. In fact, you might meet somebody to a problem you haven't even discovered you have yet. You might be working two months from now, and you can't come up with the answer on your own, And you remember, oh yeah, I met Larry on the hang and I got his contact information and this is exactly what he does. I now have somebody that I can call that can get me over that gap so I can start to solve this issue. Folks, it all starts with the hang. Please be one of the people that meet another person on the hang. And the only way you can do that is by signing up for the hang by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash hang. And I will see you on August 12th at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Nation, how do you talk about it? When you talk about your wares that allow you to treat your water treatment systems, Are they products? Are they chemicals? Are they special sauce? Voodoo juice? What is the term that you use? I don't know what it is, and I'm making stuff up, but I've heard a lot of different ways to put that. In fact, Mark Lewis calls them solutions in a drum. I love that play on words. Well, regardless of what you call them, You need them in order to run a successful program. And many of us blend ourselves. Many of us use blenders that help us blend those, and then they ship them to us. No matter what you do, you need a partner to help you when you have questions about your products. And that's who I'm going to introduce you to today. Please welcome our next guest. My lab partner today is Gary Garcia of Masters. Gary, welcome to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Well, thank you, Trace. It's a pleasure to be with you today. And this is not the first time that you have been on the show. You were, I'm trying to remember what show number it was. I should have looked it up and I didn't. But I was roaming the halls at the ASHRAE convention when it was here in Atlanta. And I go around the corner and there you are. That, that's correct. I was helping out um, uh, a company I know in a uh, booth that they had in Atlanta. So a slight interview on that episode. I'll make sure to have that listed on the show notes page. That was your official debut. But here is the show is just about you. The Scaling Up Nation's going to know who Gary Garcia is. So why don't we start off with that? Do you mind telling the Scaling Up Nation a little about yourself? 
Well, I'm, I'm the technical director of Masters Company. I'm also the uh, technical director of our subsidiary, which is Liquilogic. Uh, we're focusing on making uh, liquid ultra concentrates. I've been in the water treatment business for far too many years that I care to admit to. Um, <laughs> and every day is a blessing. No, no two days are the same. So I enjoy my career. And uh, I'm also very, very lucky to be part of AWT. You are on the board this year. Yes, I am on the board. Uh, I am uh, honored and humbled about it. The people that are on the board are amazing. They give up their personal time and their company time and um, try and do things for AWT in the longer term. Gary, you serve as the supplier representative. What does that mean, and what does your position do with AWT? Well, as the supplier rep, my role is to provide input and insight into what the suppliers are thinking and doing in the marketplace and how it affects the AWT membership. So I act as their voice, if you will. Issues about um, raw materials or the convention or any topic that comes before the board, my role is to be the voice for the supplier base. So let's talk a little bit about you, Gary, and your company. And I've had the pleasure of being able to work with you throughout the years. And it truly is a pleasure. You do, oh, I don't want to tell people what you do. How about you tell people the fine services that you provide to the water treatment community? So Masters is a private label manufacturer. Most of our product lines that are in the marketplace do not go out under the Masters ID. They go out as our customer's ID. Our focus is uh, customer-centric. If there is an issue, um, how we can make it better for them, make it easier for them, that's what we're all dedicated to. We understand that we gain when our customers are successful. So the more success and the easier that we can make it for them, the better it is for everyone concerned. We manufacture test kits, reagents, toll blending, raw material distribution. Outside of the water treatment field, we do an awful lot of work in the food sanitation. We make quality assurance reagents. Many times customers come to us and ask us, well, what do you think about this formula or this reagent set? And uh, we've been blessed to be able to work with them, come up with some different technologies, be able to really, what I would say, play in the innovation field. We, we've been, again, very fortunate to uh, do a number of projects, which has really pushed some of the items forward. I've really enjoyed you and I working together and collaborating on different things. And I remember I had a project going on in Puerto Rico and getting things over there and trying to figure out the best blend to send to this particular customer. And you and I talked about it. And I remember just leaving that conversation with, Gary's got this. He's taken all the hard stuff for me and just, just made it easy. It, it, was, it was truly fantastic. And that customer today is still happy. I thank you for that. I mean, again, our focus is to try and make it as easy as possible for our customer. If our customer is out selling and growing their company, we grow by that as well. And we fully recognize that. Gary, how did you get into this business? Trace, that's a scary story. So bear with me for a second, okay? While I relate it. 
So at the time, I was uh, 15 years old. My buddy came to me and said, how'd you like to make a couple of dollars to get some beer money uh, loading trucks? And so uh, we did that for about three weeks. It was at the end of the summer. Somewhere along the line, I, I impressed the boss of Masters to the point where he said, well, why don't you come and work part time for the company? And at that time, a lot of high school students were working part time. And so I said yes. And it was a wise choice for me because at the time, my boss owned Masters and was actually a vice president of an international water treatment company. So I was able to get farmed out to their manufacturing, their laboratory. It was like a part-time worker plus working for Masters. And I did that through high school and college, and it's given me experiences and relationships with other companies and people that there's no way I would have been able to replicate that in a normal career. But it all started out in that uh, I was going to earn about 10 bucks for beer. (laughs) It all started out in beer. There we go. I love that. You got it. There came a point where you were able to not just work for the company, but purchase the company. Can you tell us about that? Certainly. My boss, who remained my my friend uh, up until the time he passed away, came to me one day and said, uh, I want to um, sell the company. And there are two paths that can occur. I can sell it to someone else. They will have to give you a five-year contract. If, they, if you can't make it in five years, you're like really stupid. Or <laughs> No pressure. Or you can buy the company. So I came home and told my bride, look, we have an opportunity. Let's think it over. We wound up saying yes. We literally sold everything we had to come up with the money and uh, jumped in with both feet. And ever since then, it's been an amazing ride. So if someone isn't familiar with masters and maybe they're blending themselves, and and when I say blending uh, their core water treatment products, they're putting together in in their facility, what what are some of the things that maybe they should consider? Are, Are there things that you can do that the individual cannot? Are there considerations that maybe the individual's not thinking of? What are those things? Well, there, there's a whole set of issues for that. Um, I would not recommend anyone doing chemical manufacturing unless they've got a background in it. It's not necessarily inexpensive to get up and do it well. It is actually rather expensive to do it. There are, of course, risks involved. If you don't have the chemistry background, the manufacturing background, that can be pretty dicey sometimes. The other fact of the matter is, is that the inspections, the regulatory issues, keeping up with all of that can be burdensome. Sometimes there's a thought process that says, well, if I do it all myself, I'm going to save a lot of money. And that's really not true. I mean, I've actually gone through with customers and showed them if they did it themselves versus farming it out to a toll blender, because the toll blender is nothing more than an outsourcing group for it. The blender has the background and the ability to do it well and and to do it right. Some people get hung up on confidentiality. They think that someone like Masters is going to go tell tales. And that's easy to resolve with a non-disclosure agreement. 
those are binding. And, and if anybody turns around and steps outside the boundaries, they're going to get sued and, and lose real quick. I would also say that for a lot of companies, their forte is in selling and marketing and doing the heavy lifting of the blending and doing all the rest of that is to a large measure a waste of time. You know, uh, you, you've got to hone your talents and make sure that you're applying your talents properly. I think that's a great point. I, I shared on this podcast a while ago, but it comes to mind. I, I work with a, a coach. His name is Tim Fulton. And when I first started my company, I was doing everything myself. And I remember I was cutting the grass and he said, well, what, what do you think you would bill a customer to go cut their grass? And I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? But what he was trying to get me to think about was how valuable was my time? And more importantly, what wasn't I working on because I was doing something that other people could do better for me? You know, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I mean right now in the marketplace, um, raw materials and certain materials items are literally not to be found. So if you were doing your own manufacturing, you're trying to work out all of those logistics, trying to balance the changes, knowing whether or not this polyacrylate will work in place of that polyacrylate, whether or not your change is going to avoid an FDA letter of guarantee and stuff. All of those things come into the pot. And so again, I would say that for a number of companies, you're actually better off going to a, a, a toll blender, whether it's masters or someone else in the marketplace. Let them do the heavy lifting, concentrate on what you do well, which is sales and marketing. I get the fortune of working with a lot of water treatment companies, and I'm always surprised at the number of SKUs, the number of products they have in their warehouse. And it almost seems like a, a representative will have an idea for a product and they'll just make it. And all of a sudden there's a pallet of this product that was used at one account for one week and now they have all this dead inventory. So my question to you is, as a business owner, as somebody that might be managing that warehouse area, what do they need to consider when they're adding a new product to their line? Well, a lot of times they get caught into the trap that they don't really know what the sales volume is going to be for that product. So I go back to customers many times and say that once a year, what you really should do is try and look at your product line and pair out anything that's not been sold because that's just going to put more stuff in the warehouse. Uh, sometimes it's a specific raw material that you purchase for that, all of which is costing you time and money. I try and explain to customers, simplify, simplify, simplify. If you find out that you can properly, in an application, use an existing product, that's your best bet. If you find that you want to make something for a competitive sale, that's great. But if it's for one or two five-gallon containers, you're chasing that you shouldn't be chasing. And then as far as developing product, what do you think companies should do? Should they, should they stick to a specific geographical region? Do you think they should have one product that satisfies multiple regions? Is there a line of thinking around that? Well, th there actually is a logic for that. So if you have a geography that encompasses soft water makeup, uh, let's say New York versus Indianapolis, you may have to customize your product line so that you have both of those covered. But by the same token, your soft water that you're using in upstate New York, 
you can actually use that in deliberate soft water applications for cooling. Uh, you don't need to create a new product. Same goes for raw material selections. Once you have your core set and you've got it pretty well fleshed out, then you can intermediate things back and forth. There's too much of a rush, I think, sometimes for people to customize where they don't need to customize. And as you pointed out, you know, that pallet sitting in the back, now you've got to pour out the containers and rework it, or, you know, you put it off to the side and you don't want to deal with it, and then a year goes by and things like that. Again, I would reiterate, simplify it, uh, try and keep that product line as tight and as neat as you can, um, because otherwise it's just going to cost you time and money. I know a lot of people try to save time and money by bringing inventory in. A lot of companies are just drop shipping straight to the customer. How can somebody determine what's right for them? Well, all of that is flexible, I think. We have customers where we will stock some of their warehouses. They want materials available in case a customer has an emergency. They need a five-gallon or, or even a 15-gallon to be able to pick it real quick and, and either deliver it to the customer or get it there real quick. Drop shipping, from our perspective, is actually quite easy. Uh, everything goes out under our customer's name. There's no identification of masters. Why do you want to intermediate to a warehouse and then shipping it out to the end user? That's just double cost. In today's world, uh, as you know, freight rates are climbing. It's, it's much easier, much simpler to just drop ship it. But by the same token, I, I would reiterate, we have customers where we do put materials in their warehouse and then drop ship the rest of the product. And a lot of people just do things because it's how they've always done them. But you know, now, as you mentioned, raw materials are harder to get. Shipping costs are going up. Now might be the right time to evaluate. You know, Maybe you are doing things the right way, but if you are just doing that by default, you really don't know. What would you recommend that everybody just needs to look at? Is there a particular number? Is there, is there something in their company to say, hey, look at this, and that will help you just begin the evaluation process? Well, taking a little bit of time and sitting down and looking at what their sales base is. So if they have not sold something uh, in the last year or maybe the last two years, or if they've only sold a couple of containers, you might want to pair that out at a product line. Or can you find a replacement for it in the product line? By the same token, they might want to also do that with some of the raw materials that they buy. If they're not purchasing on a routine basis, uh, it may not warrant that you carry that forward. I'm always a fan of once a year trying to uh, sit down with a customer and saying, look, here's the data. Here's what you bought. This is the directions you've been going in. Are you still going in those same directions? Is it possible for us to consolidate a 10% nitrite solution with a 15, whichever one that you are selling the most of? Unfortunately, that takes time. Somebody in the organization has to sit down and spend an hour or two going through it. But when you come out the other side, you find that um, you're much more informed about what's actually going out the door, and you're able to pair out all the rest of that item that you don't really need. It's another skew. It's another pallet sitting in the back of the warehouse. You mentioned regulatory earlier. What are some of the things that we need to make sure that we understand if we're working with these types of products? It's a challenge keeping up with regulatory all the time. 
you have to uh, be aware of DOT, EPA, everything else under the sun for that. If you're blending your own, you have OSHA considerations that you have to be aware of. You, you never want to assume that you won't get an inspection or someone won't have a problem. The regulatory side, for those who are not prepared to do a lot of homework, they can make mistakes very, very easily. And if you get caught in the mistake, it's very expensive. And then typically that follows another inspection, which follows another inspection, and the dominoes are just pushed forward. Absolutely correct. Once you get dinged, you're on the list. They will be back. For here in our location, we typically get inspections at least once a quarter. We're on a first name basis with the people, not because we've done anything wrong, but because we are a chemical manufacturer. They're in here asking us questions and making sure that everything is okay, simply for that fact. And I'm sure that anyone who is doing any larger scale manufacturing is finding the same issue. Gary, can you share a client success story with us? Many years ago, a company started up. The individuals left a large uh, service company. They got master's name through the raw material supplier base. We actually sat down, had a number of meetings. They were fairly astute from a technical application standpoint. They were not necessarily astute from a manufacturing, regulatory, and all the rest of the things that go into the little cocktail. We exchanged information. We were privileged to start manufacturing their products. The nice part is, after 20-some-odd years, that little startup company, which started out with zero sales trade is now a multi-million dollar company and very successful. And uh, whenever I see the people, we, we kind of laugh and joke about the early times in, in doing that. And that actually gives myself personally and our organization a huge sense of fulfillment watching these companies grow and, and doing that. We're blessed to actually have our very first blending customer. We did not get into the blending business deliberately. It was by accident. On the test kit side, we're fortunate to have customers that go back almost 50 years with us, although they've been bought and sold several times. It's a wonderful feeling to see um, customers grow and develop and actually become friends. Gary, I love asking this question with people that have been in this industry for a while. So think back through your career. What's your funniest water treatment story? The gentleman who called me and started telling me this, has passed on. He, he's been gone probably 15, 18 years. He had worked for a uh, company that was primarily a Jansan supplier rather than a, a true water treatment service company. And uh, he caught me by surprise. And I have to say I was speechless when, when, when he started telling me this. He called up and he said that um, he had the greatest chemistry for cooling water. And I'm like, okay. And he started telling me this. Then he told me that it was sodium sulfide and that he was putting it in cooling water to scavenge the oxygen. And I had to restrain myself from laughing out loud, really holding back. And after the phone call was over, I, Trace, I started laughing like crazy. Well, hopefully it wasn't a contract account. That's all I'm, I'm hoping for him. <laughs> <laughs> right. Subsequently, about a month later, I sat down over a cup of coffee with the gentleman and, and had a nice chat. But at the time, 
he was absolutely convinced that that was going to be the next new thing and he was going to be able to do this. <laughs> so what is something that you see people doing in our industry and you just once and for all want to say, stop doing that? Oh, I, I think that that is a condition, in, in my humble opinion, that many people go through in, in a variety of different things. Buying solely on price, that can get you into trouble. Buying raw materials solely on price, not looking at the, the value proposition, not looking at the actives, uh, how one compares to the other. Even when it comes to test kits and blending and everything else, you really do and should look at the value proposition. And that's the same thing that the water treatment service companies face. They're out in the marketplace. Some companies are very, very inexpensive, but don't necessarily deliver the value, the quality, and the performance. And the same thing happens on the supplier end, certainly with masters. We get compared to other stuff literally every day, all day long. So we have a challenge, and that challenge is to communicate that for the price you're getting large amounts of value with us. I think that's a, a global issue. I mean, we as water treaters don't like it when customers look at us on price. And, and, and a lot of times it's our fault because we're not explaining our value. So um, maybe that's the lesson. We all need to make sure we understand each other's value and make sure that we're talking in that language. Well, as, as the, the person you were talking about before as your coach, he was trying to impart to you the value of what you do and that cutting the grass is not imparting the value that, that you possess. So yes, that's a large struggle for that in that if you're only looking at price, uh, you know, sometimes you get what you pay for. Truer words never spoken. Are there any new technologies that we need to be on the lookout for? There's a number of items that are in development, whether they're going to come to the marketplace or not. One for certain is there are companies looking at Azol replacements because the cost has gone up and availability has gone down. There are a couple of companies looking at various different polymer backbones because once I have the backbone, I can attach different functionalities on it. Both of those, I think in the next year or so, will come to some development into the marketplace. And those will probably improve the uh, product applications fairly substantially. There's always a uh, move back and forth to being greener, being more biosustainable. Some of those materials are likely to come to the marketplace in the next uh, year, maybe two. Well, since I have an official board member on with me, what can you tell us about the upcoming convention? What are the details? Are we in person? What's going on with AWT? So we are in person. Everyone, I think, would say that last year's attempt at virtual was the best that we could do, but it does not take the place of being in person. There will be a, a little bit larger exhibit hall this year uh, because things are being spaced out so that there's a little bit more distance. Fortunately, um, as you know, CDC has said that um, if you've been vaccinated, you, you don't need a mask and things. And as that progresses along, I'm, I'm really hoping that that gets better and better so that by the time we meet, um, we're literally back to normal. But in official basis, the convention's on and moving forward aggressively. There we go. 
Well, Gary, uh, I'm going to ask you some lightning round questions, but before we transition there, what's the one point you want to make sure is crystal clear with our audience today? On behalf of masters, if we can be of any service to people, all they have to do is just let us know. We're not the kind of company that is pressing for sales every five seconds. If we can help in any way, that's all they need to do. The second part of that is a uh, personal note in the fact that I am, again, honored and blessed to be part of AWT. And um, I can't say enough about the quality of people that I'm able to work with. They're great. Well, Gary, I'm going to go ahead with the lightning round question. So these are the same questions that I ask to all of my guests. So the first question is, is you now have the ability to go back and talk to yourself on your first day working with masters. What advice would you give yourself? Kind of similar to the advice I gave myself then. Be quiet, observe, and learn, learn, learn. If you think you know something, slap yourself upside the head because you don't know anything. Just keep learning and learning. I heard somebody say the other day, your very first day was the smartest you ever were, and then you start learning all the things you didn't know after that. (laughs) Quite true, Trace. Uh, What are the last few books that you've read? I love reading on a variety of subjects. So Paris 1919, The Fountainhead, and uh, Grant Biography. All right. Now, are you one of those guys that can read books at the same time, or are you a one book at a time person? I try and be one book at a time, but I invariably find that I've got two or three going at once. I might have more of a technical book going, and then for relief, I'll, I'll do a spy novel or something else. But most of the time, Trey, seriously, I have, I have two or three going at once. What's your favorite water treatment resource? AWT. All right. So uh, within the AWT, if somebody wants to answer questions about what the different components in their products do, what resource would you recommend for them? Well, uh, th- there's actually a number. So when it, when it comes to something specific like that, there, the raw materials manual is helpful. The TRTM is helpful. It is always helpful to broaden out your base. And from this standpoint, get close to some of the people that are knowledgeable in AWT. Get their email. One of those people is Trace Blackmore. Learn to, when you have a question, send them an email. Say, you know, what if? You can rely on the exchange to a large measure. But the talent pool inside of AWT is world class. Can't go wrong. When Hollywood finds out about your life, they're going to write a script about it. Who plays Gary? Anyone with hair, okay? (laughs) All I care about is is that they have hair because I don't have any. (laughs) All right. I don't think anybody's ever answered it that way. Uh, Final question. You have the ability to talk to anybody throughout history. Who would it be with and why? I currently would pick Winston Churchill. As a uh, leader who went through troubled times and came back, multiple times, it's a nice story. So sitting down with him, having a a glass of bourbon or something and uh, being able to talk to that person, I think that would be enlightening. He's on my list as well. Well, Gary, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, sharing some information about what you do and how we can start looking at our products a little bit differently. I thank you again, Trace. 
Nation, I have known Gary for a very long time. And I have to tell you, Gary is one of those people that is so generous with the information that he has. And if you don't know Gary, reach out to Gary. He's just a good guy to get to know. And he just has knowledge because he just knows so much about blending products. It is just incredible when you're at a stop because you cannot get past whatever is not going in solution or why you're not getting a reaction that you need or why something isn't working the way that it should. Having somebody that you can call like Gary is invaluable. So wherever you get your wares, even if you are blending yourself, having somebody that you can call has just been tremendous for me in my business. And when you can now partner with somebody, now somebody else can see potential issues that you might not even be looking for. So I hope that you are just thinking outside of the box when it comes to the products that allow us the foundation of everything that we do. Nation, I talk a lot about my father on these episodes, and one of the things my father never taught me was the blending of products. That was something that I had to learn on my own. Now, I didn't do it on my own, but as I've said before, I knew that I didn't know things. I probably didn't know what I didn't know, so I aligned myself with people that helped me learn what it was that I didn't know. Many of these people you have heard on this podcast, and they have allowed me to gather the information that I now carry around in my head today so I can help myself and then even other companies that I'm working with. It all started because I was not too prideful to ask for help. So many times we are so wrapped up in what somebody else is going to think about us, we don't go the extra mile. We don't go the next step. We don't learn something new. We'd rather not appear foolish. Well, folks, even if you do appear foolish, that's only for a second. And then you're going to get the information that you need to start building on whatever question that you have. Please do not be too embarrassed to ask the question that's going to open the door for all this knowledge that you didn't even know that you needed to ask for. Something else you probably didn't know you needed to ask for, and you don't because I'm going to bring him on right now. Here's James McDonald. Hello, Scaling Up Nation. The next James's challenge as we grow as an industrial water treatment professional, drop by drop, is... Research the Practical or Pecorious Scaling Index, or PSI. We've covered the Langelier Saturation Index and Risner Stability Index in these challenges, but the Practical Scaling Index has a different twist as it tries to account for the buffering capacity of water. Why and how does it do this? How does the PSI compare to LSI and RSI? That's just what you should learn and more as you tackle this week's James's Challenge. Be sure to share your experience on LinkedIn by tagging it with hashtag JC21 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O. This is James McDonald, and I look forward to seeing what you share. 
James, thanks again for that. So many people out there are hashtagging to allow us to see what they're doing. Please share what you are doing on social media. A lot of people have recently caught up with a lot of the challenges. I've heard a lot of people are binge listening to Scaling Up H2O. I don't care how you listen as long as you listen. I also want you to let me know what you want the next episode of Scaling Up H2O to be. So if you can go to scalinguphto.com and let me know by either sending me a voicemail or by going to our show ideas page, I will be sure to have a long list of topics to bring you a laundry list of Scaling Up H2O episodes. Nation, another episode's going to come at you next week. So I know it's a long time to wait, but it's definitely worth the wait. I thank all those people that have helped me build those episodes. And until next time, have a great week. Take care of each other and learn something new. Scaling Up Nation, so many people that I talk to want to join the Rising Tide Mastermind but they're concerned about being able to commit one hour a week for the mastermind calls. Folks, I have to tell you, when you experience that hour, you realize that that is the power hour that changes every other hour that you will experience that week. If we keep doing the same things, we will keep doing the same results. And that one hour a week allows you to get out of the day-to-day so you can work on your day-to-day. Do something different. Find out about the Rising Tide Mastermind by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.